In the early years of the second century of the Common Era, a Roman official in Asia Minor named Pliny wrote to Emperor Trajan about the increasing problem of worshippers of Jesus Christ. Pliny described to Trajan some of the strange practices of these worshippers, among which was the singing of a hymn to Christ as if he were a god. A hymn to Christ, Carmen Christi in Latin. A hymn to Christ is what we have just heard from Paul's letter to the Philippians. We don't know whether this is the hymn that the Christians in Asia Minor sang, but it is certainly an example of a hymn to Christ as if he were a god. Paul includes the hymn, as we've heard, immediately after writing these words. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. I have a dear friend who has been my friend since we were 14. She, more than anyone I know, exemplifies the traits of unselfishness and humble service. She, like me, grew up in the same kind of Christian faith, a kind of Christianity that emphasized doing good to others and de-emphasized meditating on, thinking about, or talking about the living convictions of the Christian faith, which make self-sacrifice a fitting modus operandi. It was a kind of Christianity that might occasionally glance at the Bible and theology when it momentarily took its focus off doing good. In the Paul's Ethics course I am teaching this term, we talk about the relationship between theology and ethics. In the form of Christianity in which my friend and I were raised, there was a lot of ethics, but not very much theology. Not surprisingly, my friend eventually let go of her Christian faith. It seemed unnecessary to her. She could do good for others and serve the poor without it. In my late teens, for some blessed reason, I found my way to a thicker, richer, and much more textured represent representation of the Christian faith than what my church had offered me. One of the gifts I found waiting for me was the Bible and the wealth of Christian thinking based on the Bible. In my case, this has not transformed me into a person who is nearly as unselfish and other-centered as my friend, and that's a mystery I have no answer to. But it has offered me endless joy and resources that I can't imagine living without. As you might imagine, I have attempted to draw my friend towards the same discovery. But as we all know, the mystery of faith is that it is a gift, and I am not the giver. But I have often wondered how or whether it might help my friend to consciously root her life in humble service to the poor, in words of life such as the hymn we hear this morning. Of course, I don't know, but I do know that I cannot do without this song. This hymn in particular has given me hours and hours of satisfactory head-scratching, of pondering, of wondering, of imagining. And I think that that is how Paul wanted the hymn to function, like a piece of poetry that pierces our beings because it attempts to pierce mysteries. This morning there's time for me to share only some of the wonders I have found in this hymn. 
I'll focus primarily on the first stanzas. Have this disposition among you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to grasp after, but poured himself out, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humanity, and being found in human form, humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death. These words stir questions like, what does it mean for Christ to be in the morphe of God, the form of God? Does this mean that Christ really was God, or sort of God, or just looks like God? Questions like, does the stanza about Christ not regarding equality with God something to grasp after mean that he wasn't equal to God or that he was? A question like, What does the word echinosin, which I have translated as poured out, but which is often translated as emptied, what does that mean? Does it mean that if Christ were God, Christ poured out his godness in order to take on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of humanity, that Christ needed to empty himself of his divinity in order to be born as human? The questions that stir from pondering this song are truly opportunities, chances to think deep down, to contemplate God's revelation in Christ Jesus. The answers we come up with may not be as critical in some cases as the activity of contemplating. For as we contemplate, we are opening ourselves to the expansive horizons of God. And as we do come up with answers, this hymn invites us not to stay satisfied and certainly not to close the book as if, well, now we know what the hymn is inviting us to sing. In that key then, allow me to share with you where my thoughts are at the moment on some of the questions that the hymn stirs up. I hear Paul singing that Christ Jesus is in the form of God, in the very form of God. And that is why Paul goes on to sing that Christ's response to being equal to God is that he does not grasp at that equality. I hear Paul singing that Christ's divinity is characterized by not grasping at at equality. Christ is God as Christ pours himself out and takes the form of a servant. I hear Paul sing that Christ's divine character is such that he is God as he pours himself into human form. It's not that Christ empties himself of divinity in order to become human, but that Christ is divine in the very activity of being humble, of pouring himself out. The song Paul sings extols recognition of God as one who does not hold on to his divinity for himself alone. Paul sings about God as one whose divinity is defined by offering himself, offering himself through Christ. In addition to hearing Paul's hymn proclaiming that Christ's humility is the revelation of the true nature of divinity, I hear the hymn declaring that Christ's obedience is the true way to be human. Obedient servanthood 
is the true nature of being human. The song climaxes with soaring phrases that describe God after Christ's obedience to death on a cross, lifting Christ up super high, huper ops osen, in order that in Jesus' name, and it's N, in Jesus' name, every knee might bow, whether on heaven, on earth, or under the earth, and every tongue might confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God publicly and overwhelmingly affirms and endorses Christ's way of being divine and Christ's way of being human. God's glory is found in this, when all creation acknowledges the divinity and the humanity that Christ lives. Phew. So much to ponder, and consequently, so much more depth and grounding on offer. The hymn resonates with life-giving concepts that clearly Paul hopes will help the Philippians to have the disposition, the phronesis of Christ, which is often translated as the mind of Christ. It reverberates with ideas meant to help people to be human, the way Christ was human, because the divinity of Christ is shaping them. I believe that Paul thought that singing this hymn is instrumental in coming to have the character of Christ, being servants, recognizing that God is revealed as we are servants to each other, doing nothing from selfishness or conceit, but looking out for the interests of others. I know that I need to sing along with Paul, and so to ponder and wonder and ask questions over and over, so as to keep my heart and mind and soul and strength trained toward the, the hymn ends with ace towards God's glory and not my own, in order to daily open myself to sharing the disposition of Christ, which Christ longs to share. I wish my friend and many, many others, well, everybody, could hear this song. It might not make my friend into a better servant of the poor, but I believe hearing this hymn in her heart would immensely enrich her life. May we who have been blessed with being gifted with faith and who have heard this hymn in our hearts never stop singing it. I believe that this is key to being in tune with God's work of transforming us and God's world. And may we, the church, sing it out, for it is God's song for God's world. <laughs>